Welcome to the Wizard Brew Podcast. I'm Carl Jalm. And I'm Daniel Nyheis. So this week, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a kind of a level-up episode, you know, a, a good way to improve your deck building. Uh, one of the greatest things you can do is to take a known list and make a few changes to it, you know, uh, kind of customize it for your local metagame. Uh, so we're going to be tweaking some net decks this episode. There's people out there that are like, oh, I don't net deck because it's, you know, the devil pretty much. And look, you know, that's perfectly fine. You know, if you don't want to play net deck and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Net decks are done because, or they are they are out there because they're technically the best decks to play. What we're looking to do now is now that we have the best deck in our hands, we want to improve it. We want to make it better for us. I mean, a prime example is how I've talked about Nauseam for a million years now, where I have refined and refined and refined a list to make it tuned for a specific meta. One of the big things, uh, if we look at standard, for instance, looking at um, what what your local metagame looks like, it may not look like the Pro Tour, where a lot of people are on uh, Etherworks Marvel or uh, Zombies variants or even vehicles. Uh, you may have just everyone's playing zombies or you have a lot of people playing black green energy or black green delirium and so the same 75 card list that um someone gets to the top of the pro tour with may not be correct for uh the competition that you will be seeing in your local shop so you need to make some changes to it to adjust for that you know take some cards out of the sideboard put in some other ones that are going to improve the matchups you know you're going to see so that way you can walk into a tournament and feel more confident for a matchup. Yeah, exactly. Now, the very first step of tweaking the net deck is, of course, to find the net deck. So um, there's a couple of different places where you can look at lists that are performing well, and you can just make some changes to it to improve its game against some of the decks you'll be likely to see. Uh, one of the first places to look is the Magic Online Leagues. Um the Mothership uh, puts up a list of the 5-0 decks in their league. So that's every undefeated deck that comes through week after week. They'll put up a list of uh, what those decks contained. Eventually, what's going to happen is you start seeing the best decks bubble to the top. And, you know, at, at the beginning of a season, you see everything. You see everything under the sun. Well, now the Pro Tour's over, and people are kind of settled down, and they figured out, where they want to be. Of course, there will be decks that pop up, um, such as the deck that we'll be talking about a little bit later. I'm surprised this deck actually still exists. I haven't seen it uh, in quite some time. Um, but, you know, it, it, decks bubble to the top. It just exactly like a bubble. They uh, come to the top, they settle there, they burst, and then another deck bubbles to the top again. And this is this is just a rotation away standard and even Legacy and Vintages, they, they always seem to be in that fashion where they just suddenly become, hey, look at this really powerful deck. It's like, all right, cool. And then everybody knows how to play around it. Yeah, and this is definitely a great way to scout out the competition. You know, you can see what other decks are doing well and uh, get an idea of where those decks, of what cards they're playing and how they might be prepared for your deck. Another great resource for deck lists is mtgtop8.com. This was great because it'll show you a lot of major events and sometimes some smaller events from shops around the world and even some Mitko events. And it breaks down the top eight, sometimes even more than the top eight. They'll show you like the top 16 or so and uh, give you a nice breakdown of what those decks look like. Yeah, it's a very simple format um, format of a, uh, of a site. It shows a deck. It allows you to click on it. You can see the archetypes, the percentages, the way they break down. Um, it also shows off the card and what they look like, of course, once you click on it. And it shows you the prices on MTGO and on um, on normal paper, kind of what TCG mid, I think, is, or low, whatever it may be. Um, and it shows you main board creatures, spells and instances, others, which would be enchantments, artifacts, things like that. And then finally, the sideboard itself. So it's actually a really cool, um, simple formatted site where you just pull it up, you can look up something, and just like that, you're going to find it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very easy to find uh, to find decks for specific formats. 
and uh, they do sort them by, uh, like, if you're looking for a specific type of list, let's say you're playing uh, Infect in Modern. So you go to their Modern page, you select Infect, and it'll show you, here's all the top-performing Infect lists from the past couple of events, and you can look at all of them and see the different variations on the deck. A third source that you could use, uh, this is from the website mtggoldfish.com. They have a section of the website, it's their metagame page, and they have one for all of the popular constructed formats, and this will show you a breakdown of um, what percentage of the meta is uh, each deck is representing. So, for instance, if we're looking at the standard metagame page, uh, looking at the last few competitive events and the uh, NTGO standard leagues, Teamer Aetherworks right now is about 30% of the meta. So this will give you a very easy look as to, if you're going into a blind meta, what you may expect. And if you click on one of those, it will give you uh, one of the most recent, one of the most recent uh, lists that performed well. And then underneath, it'll tell, it'll give you a breakdown saying, okay, this card was a four of in 100% of decks. This card was a three of in 75% of decks, and things like that. And it really shows good percentages, which is very, very nice. Um, I kind of like a more um, graphed out statistics, I think is the word I'm looking for. It's more statistical, so it lets you know what the meta looks like. Because, you know, let's say I'm going to go to Star City Games this weekend. I'm going to play in one of their big events. I have no idea what the metagame is. I can look on MTG Goldfish. And they will show me what the percentage is going to be. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Let me test against this deck. Let me test against that deck. All right, I'm more prepared. Well, I better watch out for this deck as well. Because this is kind of bubbling to the surface. Yeah, and um, that is one of the downsides of their metagame page is, yes, there are no graphs. It's all just the numbers. So if you're a visual learner, it may be a little bit uh, more difficult for you to read read that section of the page. But it is a good source for uh, quickly finding uh, a deck list for each archetype. And one of the last places you can look, of course, is um, some of the major content outlets like Star City Games and Channel Fireball. They're always putting out content, showing you new deck lists, and showing you gameplay of the decks. And um, a lot of times it's not as analytical or as number crunchy as some of these other options that are out there but uh, you do get to see the deck in action uh, very easily through their videos and through their articles. You know, Star City Games and Channel Fireball, they're always putting out content. Literally, like, I don't know a day where they haven't put out three or four articles, like, per day. And sure, some of them, you know, like Star City requires you to be premium, and that, you know, that does suck from time to time. But, of course, you go to their event, they give a month subscription for free, and you can find it anywhere on the internet. So, besides that... Um, really, there's so much information. You're, the world is oversaturated with the amount of magic content out there. There's so much to absorb. And with Star City and for Channel Fireball to put their big name players, like a lot of Pro Tour players, Reed Duke, Eric Froelich, LSV, things like that, onto the uh, Channel Fireball page and stuff, and stuff along those lines, you learn way more than you actually think you would. And sometimes they put out goofy things. For example, they just put a thing out. Well, what happens if all these creatures enter the battlefield at the same time? It's a little brain teaser. It keeps you thinking. It's something different. Yeah, like a, a lot of their articles and videos outside of decks are always really good um, for you know keeping you on your toes. You get to learn a couple of weird rules interactions sometimes. Um, but yeah, mostly uh, if, if you're looking for a deck to play and you don't know how that deck operates, uh, these videos are a great way to see it in action. Yeah, they, they have a lot of content. I recommend checking them out. Subscribe to them like on YouTube and stuff like that and finding them on Facebook. You'll learn way more and you'll become a better player because of it, honestly. Now, once you've selected your deck, um, it's time to identify what the deck's game plan is. And if you haven't seen the deck in action, let's say you have some trouble finding a video of someone playing it, uh, there's a couple of steps that you can take to figure this out. Uh, one of the first steps uh, is looking at the number of lands that the deck plays. Uh, depending on the format, a, the number of lands will suggest a couple of different things. 
Uh, usually less lands is going to mean it's an aggro deck, or it's looking to end the game quickly, or it doesn't need to draw many lands to cast its spells. And if it has more lands, it's likely going to be a control deck. Uh, the numbers change for each format. Right now, in standard, you're looking at anywhere from like 22 to 24 lands. Means you're probably you means you're an aggro style deck. You're looking to uh, play creatures or threats within the first couple turns of the game. And then if you're going upwards from there, you're going up to 26 or 27 lands. You're looking at a, more of a control deck. Yeah, exactly. The the more lands kind of indicate more. The longer the game should go, honestly. Uh, you know, 19, 20 lands, you're looking to end the game pretty quick. Uh, 24, 25 lands, you're looking for a long game. And you don't notice that at first, but once you start really looking into a lot of information, you'll notice, like, oh, so that's why that combo deck really only plays, like, five basics. Yeah, when you get into um, when you get into vintage and legacy, that's when the the land count can be a little bit uh, it can fluctuate a little bit more because uh, just the strategies being used by some of the decks, you can really cut down on the number of lands you're playing. Um, but generally, the concept still stays the same: the less lands, the faster the deck is; the more lands, the slower the deck is. Yeah, it's kind of the gist. Mm-hmm. Now, once you've identified where this deck sits as, as far as its gameplay speed. Uh, now one of the places to look is the mana curve. So that is, of course, if you were to make a bar graph um, with each bar being each converted mana cost of the cards being played in the deck, um, you should be able to see like a curve, most likely. Like It's going to go up and peak and come back down most of the time. Um And this mana curve is really going to help illustrate uh, when this deck is putting pressure on its opponent or when it's it's really going to uh, turn on, for the most part. Uh, For instance, I'm looking at an aggro deck right now in standard, and I can see it peaks up at two converted mana cost, and it drops back down pretty quickly because it plays a lot of two drops to turn on the pressure immediately. Now, after you've identified where the mana curve sits, uh, you de- you definitely want to look at the... Uh, we're going to call these the power cards. And these are the cards that... Um, the high power cards that are being played in the deck and most likely what the deck is built around. Uh, if we were to look at a standard list, for instance, we've got uh, the teamer Aetherworks Marvel. You've got, of course, your Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, and your Aetherworks Marvel. And those cards are both very powerful in their own right, and definitely the reason why anyone would be playing that deck. With that being said, you know, certain decks, Legacy and Modern and stuff like that, let's look at, like, a Storm-based deck. Well, I mean, you can go for the namesake cards, uh, Grapeshot, Empty the Warrens, Tendril of Agony, but let's look a little deeper. You're looking at Fast Mana. You're looking at um, Quick Cantrips. You know, Serum Vision, Brainstorm, Ponder, Preordain, things like that. Uh, the Fast Mana being Dark Ritual, Cabal Ritual, uh, Pyretic Ritual, Desperate Ritual, things like that. All these ritual style effects, because that's the namesake of the deck, to generate a bunch of mana and then combo off. So, quick, efficient cards, you know, it's probably going to be very aggressive. If you see a Dark Ritual turn one, you're probably scared. Yeah, exactly. Dark Ritual turn one means the game is usually going to end really quickly. Yeah, or they're just resolving a Necropotence, and you're just like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then you're like, wait a second, you can't do that in Legacy. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, after you've identified the power cards of the deck, the decks that kind of uh, are the big gears and the clockwork that is the list, uh, you want to look at the synergies. And this is going to be what kind of fills it, what uh, helps fill in the gaps and helps link those uh, cogs together in this clockwork that we have. Um, so with... Otherworks Marvel, you've got Otherworks Marvel itself um, has synergy with a lot of the deck. It allows you to cast spells that are much more expensive than you should be able to cast on that turn, and then you have all your energy generating cards which synergize with that. So you have your Tune with Ether, your Rogue Refiners, your Whirler Virtuosos, those feed into the Otherworks Marvel and allow it to be strong. 
And uh, same with same with Storm. The rituals act as your synergy cards because those help build up your Storm count as well as give you the mana to cast your more expensive spells like your Dark Petition or the Tendrils of Agony itself or your Past in Flames, depending on what build you're what build you're playing. A good example of this is you know yeah you can you can go off a of Ulamog, but again let's look a little deeper. What about the Puzzle Knots? The puzzle knots indicate that you're generating as much energy as you can as fast as you can. That's a big deal. You know, you're looking at, um, you can look at turn one at two with Aether, turn two puzzle knot. You know exactly what you're playing against now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Woodweaver's puzzle knot is really one of the big uh, key synergy cards in Otherworks Marvel because the card by itself gives you enough energy to pop Otherworks Marvel. And then if you if you accidentally miss on, other, on your Marvel spin... There's, there's a good chance you hit a Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot and you can just go again the next turn. It also helps out with the deck as it uh, as it sometimes doesn't play a lot of uh, creatures for board presence early. It can only deal with threats one for one. And so Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot helps it recover from really bad starts. So uh, you find a lot of synergy with that, deck, with that card uh, working within the deck in multiple different ways. And then if we go into even... Uh, other decks, if you look at Modern Infect, for instance, uh, Modern Infect, your synergy cards are the uh, the cards that help protect your creatures. So that would be Vines of Vastwood, or in some builds, even now Blossoming Defense. Um, those not only help pump your creatures to advance your game plan faster, but also can protect your creatures from kill spells or lightning bolts or anything like that. And uh, so, so those cards are kind of two in one. They they synergize with the deck in two different ways. There's a lot of synergy in the deck um, that is able to you know be built around with basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, after you've identified these synergy cards and you and you kind of have a good grasp on how the deck operates at this point, if you've identified these cards correctly, and re- really identifying the cards correctly is mostly just looking at the list as a whole and reading the cards. A lot of times once you've read the cards, you can get a good idea of uh, where each of them fits into uh, those fits in as a synergy card or a power card or anything like that. The next place to look is what tools the deck is using to fight the current metagame. So uh, depending on what metagame the deck is going to, it may be running different sideboard options or it may be running cards that would be in the sideboard in the main board now. So, for instance, in Legacy, uh, you might see a deck running Knight of Souls Betrayal in its sideboard, and that's a legendary enchantment that costs two black-black, and it says all creatures get minus one, minus one. And you'll see these show up uh, when someone goes to a metagame where they expect True Name Nemesis to be there, because True Name Nemesis gets protection from a chosen player when it enters, most of the time, the controller's opponent. And uh, then it, it can't be killed, it can't be blocked, and Dinosaur Betrayal kills it right on the spot. Even though it's got protection against from the player that has a Dinosaur Betrayal, the state-based action says all creatures get minus one, minus one, so he's a 3-1 and dies instantly. Which is great, because that card is very annoying to play against, uh, especially when it has a Zawa's Jitte on it. You can't win. Or you might see uh, in Legacy or even in Modern uh, someone packing one to three copies of Engineered Explosives in their sideboard, and you'll see those a lot against uh, token decks. So Engineered Explosives is a really great answer to a Storm deck that's looking to kill with Empty the Warrens. It's a great answer to um, a Young Pyromancer deck. Or in... Modern's a good answer to someone playing black-white tokens with uh, Bitter Blossoms and uh, Gideon Ally of Zendikar and things like that. Yeah, and then the best part about um, Engineering Explosives is, let's say your opponent has a bunch of Swiss Spears and Goblin guys on the field. Three mana to destroy their board, probably going to win after that. And then uh, when we look into Standard, um, you may, you'll probably see decks that are playing red have magma sprays, and that's of course going to help out a lot in the matchups against um, against the zombies decks, 
against vehicles to kill scrap heap scroungers, against any of the aggro decks because creatures have low toughness. So if you see magma sprays, uh, that's because the pilot was expecting any number of those decks. Uh, It's kind of a general purpose card that's going to show up in every list that has red, but the number of them um, will change depending on what metagame they expect. Exactly. If they're expecting a fast aggro metagame, you're going to see four all day long. If you're expecting a lot of marble, but you don't want to lose to Mardu, zombies, two or three is probably the right spot. If you're expecting a heavy control meta, you're probably going to run one, maybe two. Yeah, one, maybe two to deal with the odd guy out who's playing uh, black-white zombies, things like that. Once you've got all of that together, you should have a very good idea of where your deck sits as far as uh, what speed the deck wants to play at, uh, what turns are the important uh, are the important turns for the deck to be doing something, uh, what are the strongest cards in the deck, how the cards work together, and how it usually deals with different metagames. Once you've got all this information, the next thing you have to identify is what decks are people playing in your area. And this you can do just by going to events. You don't have to be in the event, let's say you want to get into modern, but you don't know what uh, what to be ready for, just show up to modern events and watch. Just watching the events show you a lot of information. Uh, for example, if you go to a local event or a local tower event, there's a lot of burn. Well, it's time to pack ley lines. Yeah, there's a lot of burn and actually a fair amount of hand disruption in our local modern metagame, so. Leyline of Sanctity is almost a must-have for a lot of decks. And if you are playing in the event, the biggest thing you can do to improve uh, your knowledge of your local metagame is scout out the other tables in between rounds. You know, let's say you finish your round in 15 to 20 minutes. Get up, walk around, look at what everyone else is playing, and look at how those decks operate so you understand what what you need to be ready for. So you'll go into a metagame, and let's say you're playing a Nauseam. All right, your games are going to finish before the 30-minute mark. You're either going to win, you're going to lose. You win, congratulations. You lose, doesn't matter. Go scout. You want to know what you're going to be playing against. You want to know who's going to be playing the next deck. You also want to see if they know any tips or tricks on their own deck. Uh, For example, uh, Storm in Modern runs Remand. Well, you can remand your own Grape Shot, which I had no idea, and you're able to recast it. For a while, I had no idea, and that is so cool to me. And that's a trick I didn't know about. Yeah, I I actually only knew about that trick because uh, for a short time I was playing Reset High Tide and Legacy, and uh, there were times where to kill your opponent you had to uh, cast Brain Freeze and play your one-of Remand to Remand your Brain Freeze back and replay the Brain Freeze again. Um, Because you would play one-of Remand just for that trick or for against certain spells. You would be able to you would be able to gain value off of. It, it's, definitely a, it's definitely a very, very cool trick that Storm can do, and one that you probably wouldn't know unless you watch the deck in action or talk to the pilot. And that's kind of our next point. Um, another way to understand what people are playing in your meta is to talk to them. You know, be social. Go around to the players in, in your local metagame, talk with them, get to know them, and figure out, you know hey, you're playing this, you know, how should I sideboard against that deck? Or, hey, you, I've seen you play against Burn a lot. Um, what are your tips for playing against Burn? And again, the only real way of learning how to play is to play the decks. Um, not only playing against them, but playing with them. One really good thing, if you have a friend that plays in that plays in your local events, is sit down with him and trade decks and just test it out get a feel for get a feel for how infects pilot wants to play the game so that when you're playing against infect you can put yourself in their shoes and think okay he's attacking with the glycerin elf into a board where i can obviously block and kill it what does he have and definitely the last thing to be ready for in your local metagame especially if you're just going to small events at local shops is be ready for rogue decks uh you're always going to have Every local metagame has players that are going to show up with the weirdest off-the-wall decks, you know, a, a tier 4 deck that no one's even thought of, and because no one was ready for it or knew how the deck operated, they're just going to get blown out by it. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's when those those players just absolutely crush an event. Yeah, like uh, recently, actually, in uh, for Amonkhet Game Day, uh, I took a four-color energy Super Friends deck for Standard. And in the second uh, event of Game Day, uh, I sat across from someone playing a green-white Panharmonicon combo deck and I made a mistake of not leaving up Harness Lightning because I didn't realize he would be able to go off that turn. And he proceeded yeah, to infinite, to generate infinite mana and infinitely bounce his Thought Nuts here to force me to mill myself out because I was tapped out and couldn't interact at all. And it's little things like that. You have to be ready for uh, weird off-the-wall strategies like that. And it's hard. It's hard. It really is. And it feels bad when you lose to something like Because you're like wow, I could have just done this and been fine. But, guess what? You'll never do it again. I promise you. You'll lose to a deck, you'll lose to a certain interaction, and it will never in your life ever happen again because you're going to remember that. You remember your bad matchups. You never remember your good matchups. It's very true. Yeah, very very much. And that's actually good because you improve as a player by remembering... Um, what not to do a lot of the time because you go okay no don't go that way go this way play the right cards this turn now uh, once you've kind of identified uh, what decks are being played in your area the next thing to do is figure out what works well against those decks and uh, one of the biggest things that will come up a lot is uh, let's say in standard you're playing a green white deck and you're running into a lot of zombies and a lot of scrap heap scroungers. Now, some of the best options in white are Declaration in Stone and Stasis Snare. Cast Out is usually a bit too slow for those matchups. But Magma Spray, as we said earlier, is extremely good against these sorts of cards. So this is when you got to start asking yourself, okay, the best card to deal with this is in another color. Should I splash that color or change to that color? You know, adjust the deck to fit that. Yeah, and again, adjusting a deck, it takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of information and gathering, and don't just study, study, study. You have to do the test. Yeah, you have to make sure you're testing out the deck with each iteration, and uh, make sure before you show up to an event and go, okay, well, I'm splashing red for these three cards in my sideboard figure out if it actually works. Uh, another thing to look at when you're figuring out these tools to beat your local decks is, of course, the versatility. So certain cards are more versatile than others. For instance, in the same uh, point I was just making there, Magma Spray is actually not that versatile a card. It can kill anything with two toughness, or it can combine with one of your creatures to kill anything with more toughness, but uh, it can't deal with an Ulamog can't deal with a Gideon. So that's when you start looking at cards like Stasis Snare and Declaration in Stone, which are a lot more versatile uh, even though they are not as efficient as Magma Spray. Exactly. And and you'll find that out with a lot of cards too. You'll, you'll soon find out like Negate, it's a good card, but it's not the best card in your deck. Disallow is the best card in your deck. You'll soon find out that Remand really isn't the best card in your deck. It's Cryptic Command. Uh, Force of Will really isn't the best card in your deck. It's actually like Swords of Lovesher. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, it's definitely the versatility of your answers is a really huge part in uh, what makes or breaks a sideboard. Now, after you've gotten all of this information together, start going towards those specific answers if a certain deck is extremely popular. In Modern, if you know Storm is extremely popular you may want to start packing some hate cards specifically for Storm in your sideboard. Um, stuff like Eidolon of Rhetoric, which uh, keeps your opponent from casting more than one spell per turn. It forces them to deal with that before anything else. Usually not effective against any other decks, but if you know there's 50% uh, of your local of your local store's players are on Storm, Eidolon of Rhetoric is going to win you a lot of games in that in those events. I don't have a command. That card makes me mad. <laughs> I know it does. It uh, it turns off a lot of combo decks, and that's the thing. It, it, it's a very specific answer to combo decks that 
want to cast multiple cards in one turn. So that would be in Modern, you've got Storm, you've got Ad Nauseam, you've got Eggs, um, you've got a handful of other combo lists that show up. And then in Legacy, you've got Storm uh, and a few other lists as well. So if you know that you're facing up against these sorts of combo decks, uh, not the one-two punch types, but the ones that want to go off with an engine, uh, I don't know might be a really great choice. Mm, exactly. And as uh, you said before, Danny, uh, make sure to test your deck. Test it and test it and test it until you get tired of playing that deck. And then test it some more. Uh, because you need to make sure that the adjustments that you're making to try and beat your local metagame actually work. Don't just show up to a metagame full of zombies and say, okay, well, I think these cards are going to work against zombies. Make sure that they do. Exactly, because if you just walk into an event, you're just like, these will work. Well, you better be 100% right instead of confident. Being confident is important. It really is. Walking into an event going, I can win this. That's different from going, these will work and I've got this. That's a different world. Yeah, and definitely the first place to start with testing is proxying your deck and playing it against your local players. So that could be as easy as just um, take a slip of paper, write down the card name on it, and slide it into and slide it into a card sleeve. Or you could even you know go all out and print out uh, print out a proxy and slip that in a card sleeve, stuff like that. That way you can physically have the deck in your hands and understand you know what the deck is trying to do each turn, and uh, if the answers that you're packing for these specific decks are efficient enough, or if they're too slow, or if they're too narrow, or anything like that. Um, Outside of proxying your deck, if you don't feel like going through all that work, or if maybe you can't leave the house so much, uh, there's always Magic Online. Uh, A lot of decks are a lot cheaper on Magic Online compared to paper. Or, if you're looking for a free option, there's always X-Mage and Cockatrice, which uh, allow you to easily link up with people online and test out your decks against each other. Yeah, um, I actually, I play I play MTGO, I play X-Mage, uh, and I also play on paper as well, because I need to practice. Um, you know, I don't get a chance to go out and play a whole lot as much as I would like to. It's real nice to just be able to go, oh, I have this deck I want to try out on X-Mage and just slam it against a wall for an hour or two. Yeah, and for me, um, the nearest card shops are half an hour either way for me, either north or south. So there are days where I really can't afford to do an extra hour of commuting to go play some games for a while. So instead, I'll load up Magic Online, or I will load up X-Mage and just play against people, and uh, one, of the, one of the greatest things about uh, X-Mage that I've found is some players will be more than happy to, you know, give you some comments on your deck. Now, now some of those comments may be a bit more negative than others. You are, of course, dealing with the internet, but uh, some people are more than helpful. You know, you'll, you'll ask, I, like... You can ask them, hey, you were on Zombies, uh, is there anything that anything better that I could have done on my turn four than what I did? And, they, and they'll go, oh yeah, well if you had this card in your hand, you could have totally used that. Uh, things like that. It, it, it's it's very similar to, you know, playing in person. Just be conversational with your with your opponent in those games, because in X-Mage and Cockatrice, there's really nothing at stake. Exactly. I mean, and it doesn't matter either way, you really want to just get as much games in as possible. And being nice on the internet helps. It really does. Yeah. Now, um, as you're testing the deck, you may run into, um, you may run into cards that aren't performing as well as you imagined, you know, when you were drawing up the deck. Or some cards are overperforming, and you're like, okay, well, this is doing, th- this one of card in my deck is great literally every time I draw it. I want more copies. So, you need to change your list. Uh, one of the biggest things when you change your list is track the different iterations of your list. You know, keep track of the different versions. That way, uh, when you're on version 5 of your deck and you go, okay, well, the deck was much better when I was playing um, when I was playing 4 Selfless Spirits. Um, what did that list look like again? You can just go right back to it. And one of the greatest tools for that is uh, the website I've been using 
to put out the deck lists for our brew of the week every week, and that is deckstats.net. Uh, it's actually very cool because not only does it give you a full breakdown of your deck as far as mana curve, uh, mana, the color distribution of your deck, and the uh, distribution of your mana sources, there's also a tab called Revisions. And you can actually go to that and compare specific revisions of your deck. So uh, I can go back and say, okay, this is the version from back in March. I'm going to compare that to uh, today's version and see what the differences are and see if I can find a middle ground between those or maybe the March version is just the better one, stuff like that. Yeah, and it's actually really nice. Um, You've been using this for a while now when talking about the lists and I find it it a very, very cool application um, comparative to a lot of other like deck building things. Yeah, it's it's definitely grown into uh, my favorite one so far. Uh, I know we were using Tapped Out for a while, uh, but uh, Deck Stats has just been all upside for me. Um, they update really quickly with the new set with Amonkhet. They they got the cards in there really quickly, and um, entering cards into the deck into the deck is actually uh, very straightforward and very easy. And then it just does all that math for you. You can even look up uh, the probability that you will draw a card on any subsequent turn. So I could type in, okay, well, I want to have drawn uh, four islands by turn six. And it'll tell me the probability of that happening. That's that's pretty sweet information, honestly. Yeah, like all that math is really good. Um, and, I mean, honestly, that that's how the pros do it, is they crunch the numbers and they go, okay, what are the chances of me having this curve of turn two, turn three, turn four every game. And they'll be like, okay, well that's a 60% chance of that happening. So that's, that's really good. Stuff like that. Um, so not only is it good for comparing different revisions of your deck, it's also good for just looking at, you know, getting really, really, really deep into the numbers of your deck. Here's the thing. When you're, when you're trying to do number crunching, it really takes a specific mindset. You have to be kind of in the proper mood in the brain for it and just being ready for it because the thing is is you can play magic all day long but if you're not ready to learn at a deeper level then you're not going to getting better at the game does require work uh, like anything else and uh, putting in the time and looking at and you know looking at the numbers and understanding the numbers is a big part of um, figuring out uh, how strong your deck is and understanding what those numbers mean, of course, is is extremely big. It is. It's very important. Now, before we leave you this week, we're not going to have a brew of the week, but instead we're going to take a deck from standard and go through all these steps that we just outlined and tweak this net deck. So, uh, as Danny said at the beginning of the episode, this is a deck that uh, existed a while ago in Standard. It died off, and now it's slowly coming back. And this is Blue-White Midrange. It used to be known as Blue-White Flash, because a lot of its uh, threats have Flash, like Spellqueller and Archangel Avacyn. But it's becoming more of a midrange deck with the loss of Smuggler's Copter and Reflector Mage. Very happy those cards are gone. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, those cards uh, kind of made this deck uh, a bit too strong uh, while it was around, uh, in my opinion. Um, But right now, it's it's kind of sitting in a good spot. It's made a couple of 5-0s in Standard Leagues. We've seen the list doing fairly well in a couple of larger larger events. Uh, So we're going to take a look at a couple of different versions of the list and uh, talk about what uh, a small local shop metagame might look like and what tweaks you might, you would want to make to the deck. So, first off, uh, one of the things you can see if you look at the deck is most lists will be playing a full four of of Thraben Inspector, of Spell Queller, of Archangel Avacyn, Gideon Ally of Zendikar, and Glorybound Initiate. You'll see these in four ofs in pretty much every single list. Uh, these are the meat and potatoes of the deck. These cards are basically the reason why you're playing the deck and why it exists. Uh, removing any of these cards at any point can really take a huge detriment to your deck. Um, 
even just swapping out one card, like let's say you want to take out a Glory Vine Initiate. Well, now you got to put a two-drop in its place, and there's not as many good two-drops as you think there is in Standard right now. Yeah, it's a little tough to come across a two-drop as efficient as Glory Bound Initiate is. Card's busted. Card's really strong. Uh, now, past that, um, if we want to look at the number of lands, actually, uh, as as we discussed earlier, the number of lands helps a lot with determining the speed of the deck. Um, the, across the different versions of Blue-Eyed Midrange, we're mostly seeing 24 to 25 lands. So this puts us in the realm of a slower aggro deck or a mid-range deck. And of course, that's why we're calling it blue-white mid-range. Uh, it's looking to maybe drop a couple of must-answer threats early, and then just dealing with your opponent's answers as they come. So that's why you're playing your Spell Quellers and your Archangel Avacyns, because those will help turn off your opponent's answers very easily. Um, the, the, the cards are just very, very efficient in that fashion. Mm-hmm. And then if we look at the curve of the deck... Uh, it does play a lot of two drops and uh, three drops, and then it peters off very quickly to play to its four drops and five drops. Usually, those slots are really just the four Avacyns and the four Gideons, and maybe maybe a handful of sideboard cards. Yeah, and a lot of these sideboard cards, um, there are a lot of one ups in this list that we have right now. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of how many there are, but. This is where you're you're able to take your your energy and place it towards and be like, okay, well, the main board is like nearly impossible to change around. Besides, maybe the medical metal rebukes you could change those out probably. Uh, everything else, the sideboard, like it's got some room for improvement. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, the sideboards um, across blue white mid range lists they they change a lot because there's a lot of different answers you can be playing in blue white. Um, and that's when we get into the tools against the current metagame. Uh, we're seeing a lot of lists playing Declaration in Stone, but we're seeing a lot of variation on the numbers across the 75. We're seeing some versions playing two of, some playing three of, some playing a full four of uh, to be able to deal with specific answers. And of course, the more uh, copies of Declaration in Stone that you're playing, the better your zombies matchup is because you're going to be able to deal with their wide board of zombie tokens. You're going to be able to deal with their gigantic Diagraph Colossus permanently or deal with their Dread Wanderers or Scrap Heap Scroungers permanently. Or um, the Ulamogs. Or Ulamogs out of uh, Etherworks Marvel. Yes, because Declaration Stone is a very efficient answer against Ulamog. Um, just because, you know, if they hit the turn for Ulamog and exile two of your lands, you can still cast Declaration Stone most of the time. Now, past that... Um, there are a few a few versions of the deck playing Metallic Rebuke. And this is an especially strong card against Etherworks Marvel right now because uh, with this deck, you're playing uh, your Thraben Inspectors, which give you clues, and then uh, in some versions you're playing Ethersphere Harvester or uh, some other vehicle. And Metallic Rebuke gives you a very quick, efficient answer to... A, to an Etherworks Marvel. It's going to be very hard for them to get the extra three mana to to pay for it uh, that early in the game. And in the meantime, you can just beat them in the face. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's really cool the Metallic Rebuke seeing play in a few of these lists. Now, uh, we do have other differences within the list. We're seeing uh, some lists playing more and some lists playing less Selfless Spirits. Uh, selfless Spirit is going to be really good in this deck against board wipes. So, against anyone playing Chandra Flamecaller or Radiant Flames or anyone with Sideboard Fumigates, uh, Selfless Spear is going to help out a lot, and it's going to help out very much against um, against decks that are going to attack in a lot, because you can leave all your guys back, and then when they go to attack, you block it. You block with everything and sacrifice your Selfless Spirit. Uh, and it, it's also very good as a way to turn on a board wipe, because you have your Archangel Avacyn, which, uh, when she... When a non-angel creature you control dies, she flips and deals three damage to all creatures and each opponent. So uh, you kind of have a built-in board wipe there as well. And, and that makes more selfless spirits uh, very strong against uh, aggro metagames. It's going to help you to block very efficiently and then also give you a nice board wipe. Uh, while also being good in mid-range matchups because you can prevent, you can basically counter a fumigate with a two-drop. 
Self of Spirit seems to be like just a standout card recently. It's been really powerful. Now, one of the most interesting cards, and this may not be apparent at first glance why it's in the list, uh, a few versions are playing Eldrazi Sky Spawner. So this guy uh, saw quite a bit of play when Battle for Zendikar dropped, and we saw a lot of Eldrazi decks, uh, like Eldrazi mirrors in standard for a while. So he's 2 and a blue for a 2-1 with flying. He is devoid, so he has no color. And when he enters the battlefield, you get a 1-1 Eldrazi Scion that you can sacrifice to add one mana to your mana pool. So Sky Spawner is in the deck because uh, he's a very efficient flying threat. Um, and he's, specific, he's specifically in the deck to deal with zombies, actually. Uh, because the 2-1 flying... Flying is actually really hard for zombies to deal with. They don't have reach. They don't have flying creatures of their own unless they're playing bone pickers. And even if they are playing bone pickers, Sky Spawner trades with it exactly. Then the 1-1 token that it leaves behind can very efficiently block a Crypt Breaker or a Dread Wanderer and just trade with it. And you basically didn't spend a card for that. So it makes this card really strong in the zombies matchup, as well as being efficient against Otherworks Marvel because that Scion uh, basically turns your Sky Spawner into a 2-drop instead of a 3-drop to be able to cast Metallic Rebuke if they you know go to drop on Marvel. So he, he's kind of got like this this 2-for-1 value in the deck. Yeah, he's a little bit of a catch-all kind of card. Yeah, very, very unassuming card, but he is definitely a role player, and I would say uh, especially if you're taking a blue-white mid-range deck into a metagame with a lot of zombies decks definitely packing these Eldrazi Sky Spawners they're going to trade off with uh, zombies threats very efficiently and then if you're in a metagame with a lot of vehicles uh, I would recommend taking these guys out, they're not very useful against vehicles at all, he doesn't, like he can block Heart of Kirin for a turn, but that's mm-hmm. it and vehicles, they're playing a lot of a lot of magma sprays recently to deal with zombies so Sky Spawner doesn't really pair up that well against Magma Sprays. Now, for different sideboard options that you have available to you, um, there, there are a few lists that are running 24 lands that, in the sideboard, have a way to go up to 25 lands, go a bit slower, and you end up playing, for instance, Jason Rattler's Secrets, because his minus two ability is to return a creature to its owner's hand, is actually pretty efficient against uh, Black-Green Energy, because Black-Green Energy... Um, because they're playing Rish cars and a few lists playing Verter's Gearhulks, they're going to have a tendency to pile counters onto something. So Jace is pretty efficient at bouncing that threat that they've piled a lot of counters on, and then you can deal with the rest of them with uh, your Declaration in Stone, or with Stasis Snare, or when they go to replay the threat, you can counter it with Metallic Rebuke or uh, Spell Queller, anything like that. Or, you know, just, just keep it from attacking the next turn. Like, if they drop a Verter's Gearhulk and slap all the counters out to get a trample threat, you just bounce it to their hand and force them to do it again. Most of the time, that just is good enough to seal the deal. Mm-hmm. And then Sky Sovereign is going to be very good there as well, because that can deal with um, their smaller threats. Uh, late game, they play a Constrictor. Sky Sovereign is going to blow that up. And then you, you can crew Sky Sovereign with a lot of the creatures in the deck um, with... Sky Spawner actually can crew uh, Sky Sovereign very easily because itself and the token together give you three power. Your Glorybound Initiates can give you three power. Um, and then you get another three damage to uh, hit something else with. Very, very efficient answer there. Uh, also very good against vehicles because the three damage can kill a lot of their ground creatures. And then when it attacks, it can deal three damage to a Gideon and just kind of start knocking that down just little by little. So you've definitely got a lot of different options for your sideboard, uh, depending on what decks you're going to be going up against. Uh, you could run more counter spells if you expect a lot of Otherworks Marvel, more removal if you expect a lot of uh, zombies or vehicles, you know, more uh, narrow remover if you expect a lot of vehicles. You can be running Fragmentize if you expect uh, to have to deal with a lot of artifacts. So uh, definitely a deck you can take in a lot of different directions. Um, not just from the main deck, but from the sideboard as well. Yeah. There's a lot of ways you can move this deck around, and that's really, really sweet. That's why I kind of like this as our best example of what's going on today. 
yeah, it's a very, very versatile deck for um, very, very good for a metagame that you can identify and you can bring the correct answers. Um, a lot like how you might build a control deck and make sure you have the correct answers for what you're going to go up against. Uh, this gives you more of a mid-range feel while having those same deck building decisions. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that about does it for this week. When you go out there and go to your local shop to play some standard, play some modern, or even, heck, play some vintage, hopefully these tips will give you a lot of insight into how to uh, take a well-performing deck and make the changes that it needs to compete well against your local metagame. Yeah, with with this knowledge, this definitely should help out a lot of players uh, kind of figure out what they want to do when it comes to deciphering a metagame. And again, like we've been kind of saying over and over again, and it's a bit of a broken record on this one because it's really the biggest thing that can help you. Get out there and play. Practice, practice, practice is really what's going to help you more than anything else. We could tell you two are blue in the face on how to, you know, take care of uh, how to play a deck, what's going on, all the information. But unless you go out there and pick that deck up or play against that deck enough times, you're never really going to learn it. Um, and I'm, I, I figured that out the hard way by playing standard recently uh yep that is right i am playing standard <laughs> and that's a big deal because i think standard's okay right now it's good and it's good enough for me to want to play but i went in with just the basic information i have really no idea how decks work how things are tricky how well spell queller is how cards are working like this i got kind of crushed over the past couple of weeks because i just have no idea what i'm doing and that's because I've only done research and I never play. Yeah, uh, research can only get you so far. You know, uh, being book smart doesn't get you everywhere. You got to get street smart. You got to go out there onto the streets and, you know, deal with it yourself. Exactly. Make sure to keep up with us to subscribe to our SoundCloud, subscribe to, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, and make sure to like, subscribe, and share out the YouTube version uh, I know that YouTube is is much easier for a lot of people to access, so uh, we're making sure to make that available every single week for you guys. Yeah, uh, it's very exciting. So in between episodes, to keep in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at WizBrewCast. You can email us at WizardsBrewCast at gmail.com. Danny and I will have our Twitters in the description, and we will see you guys next week. All right, y'all. Have fun. <laughs>